Hi, my name is Caitlin and welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough, that in the gospel we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance this gospel message of Jesus Christ. So, you say you believe. Week 3, James 3. And today is going to be a good one. This teaching is a little controversial. And it's not controversial in the way that we think of controversy. It's controversial in that there are a lot of Christians out there who are really trying to downplay what we're going to read in God's word today. But here's the thing. James put it in this letter to the church, right? So clearly, James thought it was a big deal, right? God included James' letter to the church in his Bible. So clearly, God thinks it's a big deal, right? And if God thinks it's a big deal, then we should probably think it's a big deal, right? We've talked about this last week. Talked about this the week before, and the week before that, and the week before that, and a bunch of weeks before that. But if the Bible is showing us how to live in God's kingdom, then we can't live in God's kingdom man's way right? We keep hitting on this, but it's a core truth of what we've got to be about as Christians, and it's something that I feel like we've gotten away from in the Western church. We are trying to keep a foot in both camps, and we're trying to live in God's kingdom man's way, but if we're living in God's kingdom God's way, then if God makes a big deal about something, we've got to make a big deal about it too, right? Trying to downplay something and to say, oh, well, you know, <laughs> social nuance and da, da, da. you're right. Come on, y'all. We're experts at it, aren't we? We humans love making black and white gray, don't we? God gives us a black and a white, and we say, eh, well, I'm just going to camp right here in the gray, right? Guilty. I do it too. And we find out all, you come up with all these excuses with why we can live in this gray area. But if God makes it a big deal, let's make it a big deal. Let's address it. Let's run to it instead of running from it. Because in James 3, if we pay attention, if we let God correct us, and for some of us, this is going to be like sandpaper to the soul. It's not going to feel nice, right? But if we let God correct us, James shows us that by doing these things, we can set our course. So today, we're inviting you, set your course. So you say you believe in God, then set your course. We all want to set the course of our life, right? That's a super popular thing in leadership culture, right? Set the course of your family, set the course of your business. And how do we do that? Well, you've got to have core values. You've got to have a family mission statement. You've got to have, you've got to have, you've got to have. But is that what the Bible says? Does the Bible say that those are the ultimate things that we need to have to set our course? In James, 
we see three things we need to do to set our course. You're going to like these ones. First, God says, we set our course by watching our mouths. Watch your mouth, right? Second, we set our course by showing not our wisdom, but his wisdom. And third, we set our course by planting his seed. So, let's set our course. First, watch your mouth. If you say you believe, you better set your course by watching your mouth. Uh-oh. Some of us are starting to get a little hot in the collar already, aren't we? Right? If you're not, you're not paying attention. Wake up. We got to watch our mouth. I don't like this. I don't like it at all. And it's not that I don't like the teaching. I don't really like the teaching, if I'm being honest, because it assaults me too. But I don't like that so many Christians are okay with ignoring this teaching. Guys, this is clear-cut black and white in the book of James. And it's not just the book of James. Scripture is very consistent in this. Watch your mouth. Yet, it has become so prevalent in Christians and in Christian communities that the concept of the language that we choose to use is not a big deal. So I can swear up a storm. I had initially typed in my notes swearing like a sailor, but I didn't want to insult sailors. So I, I erased it and said we were swearing up a storm. Swearing up a storm isn't a big deal. In fact, and this gets under my skin like nobody's business, in fact, if Christians swear a little bit, it actually makes them kind of cool, right? Makes them a little bit relevant, right? Right? If I, so I, I brag a little bit about how, oh yeah, I'm, you know, me and Jesus are cool, but I also swear. I dabble in the four-letter arts a little bit, you know, and I drop some F-bombs, and everybody's like, whoa, you're a pastor. You shouldn't drop F-bombs. Are you kidding me? We've made it cool? Come on, y'all. That's dangerous. Since when is it cool as a Christian? I get it. Socially cool? Sure. The world cool? Sure. As a Christian, when is it cool to do something that directly violates the word of God? Right? But we've made it cool. Now, look, I'm going to be really honest with y'all, and this, this may cause some of you to turn and run for the doors. You may not respect a single thing I say after this, but so be it. I feel like I'm supposed to share this. Before I became a Christian, I swore a lot. A lot. Like, high school Jeremy, when I was in there, I, I kept no rain over my tongue. I let it fly. You know, football locker room, I was right in there with all, I was everybody I tell my son not to be, Right? I swore up a storm. I, I kept no rain over my tongue. Before I was a Christian, I did a lot of things that Christians aren't supposed to do, right? And I was a Christian. I called myself a Christian. I believed in Jesus. I had been raised in Sunday school, all that stuff. But I wasn't walking after the Lord. I wasn't interested in doing what he said. And so I did a lot of stuff I wasn't supposed to do. But can I be really blunt with you? Do you know what the hardest thing for me to give up has been? 
all of the things, all of, I'm, I'm dead serious, everything that I did, and look, y'all, I don't think it's even a stretch of the imagination to say in different parts of my adult walk, in college, in high school, I was addicted to tobacco, I was addicted to pornography, I was addicted to alcohol, I was addicted to, I mean, just about anything, I didn't, like, do hard drugs, but, like, addicted to all of these things, and when it came time for me to give them up, right, you never realize that you're an addict when you're in the middle of it. It's when you try to give it up that you realize you're addicted, right? And every time I tried to give one of those things up, it was like, oh, crap. I- I'm hooked on this stuff, right? But guess what? I gave up every single one of those things when I started pursuing Jesus. But you know the one thing that was the hardest for me to give up? You do know what it is, because I wouldn't be telling you this story if it didn't have to do with the sermon series, right? The hardest thing for me to change was not pornography, was not alcohol, was not tobacco. It was swearing. It was the language that I use. That was, and I, I would love to tell you that, oh, I've been miraculously healed, and the only thing in this brain are Bible verses and Jesus, but look, y'all, swearing is still an issue for me, not out loud, like I, I've gotten that part down. But, but the words, and, and look, I've admitted this to you, I don't say this to brag about it, but like I struggle driving. Driving is like my, the thorn in my flesh that Paul prayed three times for. Like when I drive, I get a little road rage. And, and, but, but guys, these thoughts bubble in my mind. And in no other area of my Christian walk do these thoughts bubble to my mind where it's like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm heading back. But swearing does. It comes back as thoughts, and if I'm not on it, if I'm not careful, those thoughts come dangerously close to bubbling out. And so we make up the Christian swear words, right? Dag nabbit. Heavens to Betsy. Right? So we come up with those to mask it. But look, y'all, this is hard, right? I think that's why so many Christians try to play it off and pretend it's not a big deal. Because fact of the matter is it's easier. If if Jesus is good with me swearing, that makes my life a whole lot easier, right? Because then I don't have to surrender that part of my life to him. Ooh. And when we put it that way, we can see the red flag, right? then I can do what I want. See, we've got a lot of Christians who say, well, you know, language is just cultural, right? In some cultures, it's, it's, this is a bad word, but other cultures, it's not. And so since it's just cultural, you know, it's, it's a construct of society, and so we can, do, we can say whatever we want. And it, stop. Stop making black and white gray. God gives us a black and white. And the fact that it is so hard to control your tongue should show you the danger that this holds, right? James doesn't pull any punches here, y'all. Look at what he says. This is how he opens it. He says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. I think this is the scariest part about the pastors and teachers who are okay with swearing, right? Because what's James say? Look, y'all, this is a heavy yoke. And I, I told you this when we started this James series. I feel this heavy yoke. Because if I'm going to get up here and teach you all, 
not to swear and how to surrender that part of your life to the Holy Spirit, guess who ought to be first in line doing that? And if I am not first in line doing it, I don't have to answer to you all. Who do I have to answer to? That's terrifying, right? You guys who are, everybody who's in the Bible in a year plan with us, right? I, I put this on our little Bible in a year plan if you read it, but yesterday we're in the book of Job, and yesterday is the part in the book of Job where God shows up in the whirlwind, right? Who is this who darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Gird yourself like a man and stand before me, right? Y'all, that's terrifying. Anybody? Are you kidding me? And if I sit here and I ignore what this says in the beginning of James 3.1, and I waltz right up to God, and you know, like us charismatic Christians, woo, it's glory time! And God says to me, who is this who darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? And Jeremy, you taught this garbage to other people and didn't live it. Not garbage, that's not... Right? I have got to be first in line. Look, y'all, if you are going to be teaching, if you're, and, and God, you should be, right? We're all called to be disciples, and if you're a disciple, you're discipling other people. But if you're discipling other people in how to walk with Jesus and then don't walk it, look out. I love you all, and I don't want you all to incur stricter judgment. This doesn't mean don't teach, <laughs> Right? This isn't the command here. Just be safe and sit on the sidelines and don't open your mouth. That's, come on now, no. But what's James continue to say over and over again? If you're going to talk it, do it. Right? So before we get into any of this tongue stuff, mouth stuff, watch your mouth, all of it, you better be ready to do it. Right? For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle, bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires." so also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Holy moly, James. Right? That's where we get the title of the, the message, right? Your tongue sets on fire the course of your life, or for God the course of your life. But that's how powerful the tongue is. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the image, or, I'm sorry, in the likeness of God. 
From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. What is the big deal with the language that you use? And this is it, right? 1 John hits on the same thing over and over again, right? We can't say that we love God if we hate men, right? And in the same way, when the same mouth comes in here on Sunday mornings and sings praises to God and then walks out these doors and swears at somebody because they're driving 45 in the passing lane, how can that be? Right? My tongue should be singing praises to God only. And does it praise God when I curse man who is made in the image of God? Absolutely not. And in this, we hit the point of all of this. Words, yes, are a social construct. They are created by culture. They are created by society to communicate. But the problem is that words communicate. And what do words communicate? They communicate what's going on in the heart. Right? Right? What's happening in your heart, in your mind, your feelings, those are expressed by the words that you use. James isn't just talking about words. He's talking about where those words come from. Jesus didn't talk about words. He talked about where those words come from. We've talked about this a lot, but James pairs his teachings so closely with Jesus' parables. And if you've done th that study, if you've gone back and read some of the Beatitudes and Jesus' teaching, you'll see these things continue to come up. This is another one of those teachings you can see we're going to look at how closely James pairs this to Jesus. We're going to use this account from Mark 7, but the same account happens in Matthew and in Luke. But it's Jesus gets confronted by the, the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are upset because Jesus' disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. And the Pharisees aren't upset because of COVID regulations and that they're, oh no, you know, you're going to get sick if you don't. That's not what it was. It was ceremonial cleansing. It was, it was a tradition of theirs that they had elevated to a law. And Jesus says, you guys got it all backwards. He did that a lot, didn't he? He does that with us a lot, doesn't he? He got it all backwards. And what did Jesus say? How did he refute them? Look at what he says. Mark 7, he says this, starting in verse 18. And he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, theft, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. 
all these things proceed from within and defile the man. The words that come out of your mouth communicate the feelings and thoughts going on inside your heart. Foul language is not just words. There is a weight to them. The language you use exposes those insidious feelings and thoughts inside of you. And look, y'all, this isn't just talking about four-letter words, right? This sermon series is not, don't say bad words, right? That's not what Jesus is teaching here. Gossip, rumor spreading, speaking poorly of others. It's not just bad words. It's the heart motive behind it. And guys, this isn't just Jesus in the New Testament. In Old Testament, in Old Testament law, it was, it was a sin to, to speak poorly about someone else whether it was a lie or a truth, but to, to speak poorly about someone else was a sin. But it was equally as sinful to not speak highly of someone when given the opportunity to do so. In, in Jewish law, that was the same thing. Because both show the heart motive, right? If I see Jackie up here on the worship team, and she does a fantastic job, but, you know, she said something that hurt my feelings last week. And so, you know, I don't come up to her afterwards and say, Jackie, you sounded so good this morning. Great job. That's as equally sinful as if I come up to her and say, Jackie, you sounded terrible. That was awful. It's the same thing in God's eyes because the heart motive is the same behind both. Right? There is anger, there is malice, there, whatever it is, envy, like whatever the heart motive is, it's not right. So it's not just the words, it's what's behind the words. Jesus continues to make a big deal about this in Matthew 12. And sometimes we get selective hearing with Jesus, right? We only hear the things from Jesus that we want to hear and we ignore the other things, right? Don't selectively hear. Because Jesus gives us a pretty dire warning here if we're paying attention. This is the problem. This is the root of it all. Jesus says this, Matthew 12, 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Do you get that? The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out his good treasure, what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. This is the problem. What your mouth is speaking is coming from your heart. So if you spew poison, even if it's not all the time, y'all, even if you can control that spewing on Sunday mornings between the hours of 9.30 and 11, if you spew poison, 
then what is in your heart? Poison, right? We can argue with this all we want. But if you want to argue, I suggest you take it up with Jesus because it's his teaching, not mine. Proverbs 18.21 tells us, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Heard a lot of really goofy teaching come off of that, right? Well, since we're made in God's image, like God's given us the creative capabilities of him, and so we can speak life like he did, and we can bring life into existence, right? You guys heard that from Christians? I'm just going to manifest my miracle, right? And so we just speak it into existence, and if I just keep speaking it and speaking it, then it's going to happen. That's not what that says, y'all. That is not what that says. What I think it does say is that when our hearts are filled with life, with his life, then we speak life. When our hearts are filled with death, and what's death, y'all? My way, right? We've said this over and over again. We're going to hit it real hard at the end of this one. But we've said it over and over again. There's two options, right? God's way, man's way. Right? Right? God's kingdom, man's kingdom. So the two options are life and death. If God's kingdom is life, because we know God's kingdom's not death, right? Then what is death? Man's way. Jeremy's way. Jeremy's words. Jesus then goes on to say, and here comes the haymaker, y'all. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. Do not selectively hear this, y'all. Every careless word. Does it say every curse word? It doesn't. Does it say every four-letter word? It doesn't. Or however many letters all the bad words in Jesus' day had in Hebrew? I don't know that one. I had to take a little more in-depth study, and I didn't do that. But it doesn't say that, right? It says every careless word. Anybody else out there want to admit? I am guilty of careless words, y'all. Every day. Every day I say words without thinking what I'm actually communicating. Even more dangerous, every day I say words where I think and communicate, but I don't ask the Holy Spirit whether he wants me to communicate that. I think that's what Jesus is talking about with careless words. Did the Holy Spirit want you to say that, Jeremy? Did the Holy Spirit want you to preach that, Jeremy? Did the Holy Spirit want you to teach that, Jeremy? And if the answer is no, then that's a careless word. And Jesus says that every careless word will be brought up on the day of judgment. I am really glad that as a Christian, I will have Jesus there with me when that happens, right? And that all of those careless words will fall under his blood and that I am forgiven for those. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, 
you will be condemned. Just to clear this up for you a little bit, to show you how this all works, I made a flow chart for you. And by I made, I mean I stole from my father-in-law. This is another Van Robison original. He picked a really bad sermon series to skip because I feel like I'm stealing all of his stuff this week, this sermon series. But this is how he says we are to do all of life. As Christians, this is how we are to disciple people. Faith runs everything. It all starts with faith, right? But then we run through our faith all of these other things, and we make them obedient to Jesus. Our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. All of those things run through faith, are obedient to Christ. This is what a Christian's life should look like. Your faith dictates your thoughts. Your thoughts dictates your words, and your words dictate your deeds, right? And we all know this. We all know that this is how it goes. Anybody who has any sort of common sense, right? Because before I say it, I mean, yes, we've, we've got the things that we just blurt out, but there's still some thought that goes on, right? So common sense says, if I control the thought, I will control the word, correct? And if I can control the thought and the word, then I can control the deed, that comes from it. And if I run all of those things through faith in Jesus Christ, then it's not actually me who's controlling it, right? It's him. Flip this the other way. We see this. You get a little Jeremy drawing today. You like that? Such an artist. If it's a tree, faith is the root system. I could give you about a billion Bible verses that justify that, but for time's sake, we'll just fly through this. Faith is the root system. Anybody who knows anything about plants, Mark, if you got good roots, what happens to the fruit? Generally speaking, it's pretty good, right? Right, Mark? Right. So your faith is the roots. And from those roots, you draw up your thoughts, which dictate your words, which dictate your deeds. This is what the book of James is all about, right? We covered faith without works is dead. Why is that? Because if the deeds are bad or non-existent, what does that say about the faith that's at the root, right? If there's no fruit, then your roots are probably dead or rotten or bad. So if there are no deeds, then your faith is dead. If you can't control your tongue, then your faith is dead. If you can't control your thoughts, you get the point? This is the book of James, y'all. But here's the thing. Have any of you ever tried to control your tongue? It's hard, isn't it? Some may say impossible. Have any of you ever tried to control your thoughts? It's hard, right? Some might say 
impossible. This is why 2 Corinthians 10.5 is so important. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says that we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. What are we doing when we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ? What are we doing? We're running it through faith, right? Right? And if the faith, if we run it through faith, then the thought isn't mine anymore, it's his. Then the word isn't mine anymore, it's his. Then the deed isn't mine anymore, it's his. Then the fruit isn't mine anymore, it's his. Guys, Christianity at its root is really simple, isn't it? It's the easiest, hardest thing you will ever do. (laughs) Because it's just surrender. That's all it is. It is saying, God, my way is broken. But your way is right. And I want to do it your way. That's what running all of this through faith is. Surrender to Jesus. Because living a life in surrender to Jesus is the only way that we can show his wisdom. The problem we have today is that we live in a world where people really love being smart, don't they? And it's no different in the church. Pastors and teachers, they love looking smart, being smart, right? I used to be very guilty of this. When I first started preaching and teaching, dude, I wanted to be like, Tim Keller genius level, right? So I read every book I could get my hands on. I devoured, I got into all the new teachings that were kind of weird, but, you know, they were new, and so it put me on the cutting edge, and, oh, wow, man, I've never heard this explained that way, da-da-da-da-da, right? I wanted to be there. I wanted to look smart, because if I looked smart, then I was going to advance. I was going to go places, right? Show me one Bible verse in here that talks about that. Show me one Bible verse where disciples of Jesus Christ are told to advance yourself on your qualifications. It's not in there, right? Everywhere. We are to advance on his qualifications. Not really us, right? Him. He's to advance on his qualifications. And so I've given that up. You guys all know that. I stopped reading books. I don't care how well-read I am anymore. I want to be well-versed in this, and this is the only book I care about. So I read my Bible, and that's it right now. Maybe someday Jesus will let me read more Keller books. But until then, Bible only for me. Because I don't care how smart anybody thinks I am. I care about saying what God tells me to say. Because that's what we want others to see in us as Christians. Not our qualifications, but our surrender. And when they look at us, they see our surrender. It shows off his wisdom. James says this, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. 
We've talked about this before. Is wisdom loud? Is wisdom screaming at other people, telling them that they are wrong and you are right? It's not, is it? We never see Jesus do that. Wisdom is steady and is calm and is patient. Because it's right. It's truth. It doesn't need to be loud. Truth doesn't boast, y'all. It just is. And that's what wisdom is. It's gentle. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthy, natural, demonic. We don't, we don't really think about the other side of the kingdom that way, do we? We don't like to think about it that way. Because there's two ways of doing things, right? God's way and man's way. And we really like it when we call it man's way, don't we? Because man's way doesn't seem that bad, does it? But when James throws in there and says, it's earthly, natural, demonic. Come on, you spiritual warfare buffs. Come on now, get excited. We're talking about demon possession and stuff, right? Oh, but we're not. I mean, we are. But we're talking about it in a way that we don't like. Because we're not talking about demon possession. James is saying, do you do things your way? So do the demons. You do things your way? Guess what path you're on, y'all? It's not a good one, is it? But those are the two sides of the coin. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there is disorder for every and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, and then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. We cannot live in God's kingdom man's way. Which means that we will never reach there by using man's wisdom. I cannot show others the kingdom of God as long as I am set on showing you all how smart I am. Right? Because every time I step into Jeremy world, every time it's me time, right? That's what, that's what our current self-care culture is all about, right? I have, there's, there's Christian time and this is Jesus time. Jesus gets this over here, but then I have to step into self-care mode and take care of myself and, and that's Jeremy time. That's not what James says, y'all. That's not what Jesus says. That's not what God says. That's not what the Holy Spirit says. Do you want me to name all the authors of the books? That's not what they say. They say there is no Jeremy time. If I am living in God's kingdom, this isn't popular, y'all. It's not supposed to be. If it was popular, everyone would do it. And look around you. What do you see more of? Look at these, look at these qualifications James gives us. Selfish ambition, jealousy. Where, do you see more of that? Or do you see gentleness, reasonableness, mercy, good fruits, no hypocrisy, peaceable? What do we see more of, right? The proof is in the fruit, right? 
and what fruit do you see? Show your wisdom. Show his wisdom by the fruit of your words and deeds. You guys need to see my picture again? No, nobody wants to see that again. But what's Jesus say? Good fruit comes from good trees. Bad fruit comes from bad trees. God fruit comes from God trees. Are you a God tree or are you a man tree? It sounds weird, but you get it. <laughs> that wasn't in the notes. It wouldn't have come out if it wasn't in the notes. But here's the thing. Those people who are truly blessed by God always end up getting exposed. You know what getting exposed looks like? You look like an idiot. Anyone like looking at, like an idiot? Nobody does, right? Especially not today in a world that is so obsessed with knowledge and everything else. We don't like looking stupid. But if you are truly blessed by God, he will make you look like an idiot so that you stop leaning on your understanding and start trusting in his ways. Look, y'all, I don't have the blessed life in that I have airplanes and cars and millions of dollars that I'm passing around. But I am living a blessed life in that God continues to make me look like an idiot when I step into my own way of doing things. We don't view that as the blessed life, do we? But I pray that God never stops doing that to me because it forces me to be dependent on him. Because ultimately, if I, get, if I start getting away from my wisdom, I start drawing closer to his wisdom, right? And guess what happens when you draw close to God's wisdom? You find that you're drawing closer to him. God's wisdom isn't separate from himself, right? God's wisdom's not, it's not just a book here that we just, we just have the book and we can go consult the book. As we draw near to God, we draw near to his wisdom. As we draw near to his wisdom, we draw near to God. They're the same thing. And what is the goal for Christians? It's not blessing. It's not heaven. It's not all of these different things that we make it to be. It's God, right? And so we set the course of our thoughts, of our words, of our deeds to his wisdom by faith. So how do we set the course of our wisdom? And we've got to plant the seed, right? You cannot get roots if you don't plant a seed. So you've got to plant the right seed. Puritan minister John Owen, we've quoted him before. He's the one that gave us the gem. My goal is God himself at any cost, dear Lord, by any road. I love him. I love Puritans. Puritans, just they just did it better than we do today, don't they? You should probably get a bumper sticker that says that. Puritans do it better. But he said this, Let no man pretend to fear sin that does not fear temptation also. These two are too closely united to be separated. 
He does not truly hate the fruit who delights in the root. Right? We've got a lot of Christians who pretend they hate the fruit of sin, but they don't mind dabbling in the temptation. Right? That's why language is such a thing. Well, I, I, you know, I don't like the fruit of murder, but I don't have a problem screaming and yelling at somebody until I really tear them down and make them feel like, Jesus says those are the same things, right? Jesus says, in the Beatitudes, if you even entertain an evil thought against someone else, it's the same as committing murder, right? Because our words and our deeds expose the motives of the heart, right? Capture the heart, and you capture the words and deeds. But the same happens with sin. If we continue to plant seeds of sin, guess what we're going to get? We've got Christians running around who hate accountability in their life. Do you know why Christians hate accountability? Because it doesn't allow them to plant the seeds of sin. And we wonder why we are in such a mess. Christian, if you do not have someone you are accountable with right now, if you don't have a trusted spiritual friend or mentor or, or whatever that you are discipling with who holds you accountable, who you can say to, man, I screwed up this week, please help me, and who will check in with you regularly and say, hey, you told me you were struggling with this. Guys, that's how you keep from planting seeds of sin, right? Get accountability in your life. Get it. Guys, if you need accountability, I am here. I will give you my cell phone number. I am more than happy to tear you down. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's not what accountability is. But, but guys, accountability shouldn't be scary, right? It shouldn't be. Because we're all in the same gospel boat. We are all sinners saved by grace. Your sin is no bigger than mine. But we've got to have accountability in our lives. If not, I am telling you right now, you are planting seeds of sin. You are planting seeds of sin, and if you let those go unchecked, it will grow into fruit. And you cannot complain about hating the fruit if you don't first despise the root, right? Get rid of the temptation, get rid of the thought, and you purify the deed. You purify the word, right? But the same thing goes. We can't just not plant seeds of sin, right? That's not good enough. That's not going to cut it in God's kingdom. We have to plant the right seed. And what does James say? He said, The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The, the Greek here literally says, there's, there's no seed in there. J I think the English translators put it in there so that we're not confused, so that we don't think you can actually just go out and take a big apple and stick it in a field and it's going to grow, right? Because the Greek literally says, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Singular fruit. Have you heard this before? singular fruit. We keep going back to this, how closely James is in unison with everybody, right? We, we get hints of Jesus's beatitudes, right? Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God, right? But then we also get this, we talked about this in the very first sermon in the sermon series. 
how so many people pit James against Galatians. You know, the two are polar opposites. James is legalism, Galatians is grace. They're, they contradict one another, they can't coexist. The fruit of righteousness, singular fruit. What does that sound like? The fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians 5, right? And then check out how deeply Paul contradicts this passage in James in Galatians 6. This is what Paul says. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit, one might say who plants seeds of the fruit of righteousness, one might, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. I've heard a lot of people turn this teaching into like a karma teaching, right? You guys know karma is, you know, like you do good, good things happen to you, you do bad, bad things happen. So when you do something bad, you know, everybody's like, ooh, karma's going to get you, right? We say that stuff. Anybody who's actually lived life knows karma is a complete load of garbage, right? Bad things happen to good people all the time, all the time. And if you're here, you know that. So we know that. And that's not what this teaching says. I've, I've heard a lot of people try to turn this, oh, you reap what you sow. What? Look out, God's going to get you, right? That's not what this says. That's not what the teaching is. Stop turning God's wisdom into man's wisdom. Stop trying to understand God's wisdom through man's wis wisdom. If you take it out of context, you can make it say whatever you want, but put it in context, and it says what it says and only what it says. We don't sow good and bad seeds, right? We don't sow good and bad deeds. What do we sow? We sow spirit seeds or we sow flesh seeds come on y'all i mean you see it right it is literally the entire book of the bible there is god's way and there is man's way you either sow the spirit's seeds and yield the spirit's fruit and if you're not what are you sowing Seeds of the flesh. Y'all, this is why I'm so against leadership culture, especially in regards to the church. Because for so long, the Western church has tried to save itself with leadership culture. But y'all, we're sowing man's seed. And when you look at the fruit we have in our country right now, American church, wake up because it's broken. It's broken. We are not yielding the fruit that we should yield. We are raising up Christians who aren't doing the deeds they should be doing, who aren't saying the words they should be saying, who aren't thinking the thoughts they should be thinking because our faith is broken. 
This is why the book of James is so pertinent to us right now in our cultural climate. If your faith is broken, then you can't expect any of these other things to line up with God. You cannot line up with God's kingdom with busted faith. So we've got to fix it. And we fix it by planting the right seed. Not fleshly seeds. This is what's so terrifying about this teaching, y'all. Fleshly seeds can be good seeds. Leadership culture is not bad advice, y'all. We talked about this in the Christmas sermon series. But if you're running a business, leadership culture has really good advice and good principles to apply when running a business, right? But you will never walk in God's kingdom that way. Because to walk in God's kingdom, you have to walk God's way. You have to walk by the Spirit. That is the only way. Because anything else is Jeremy trying to figure out how to walk in God's kingdom. And guys, we are living in the kingdom of God right now. Because the day of Pentecost happened, because the Holy Spirit fell, I don't have to trust Jeremy's way of walking in God's kingdom. I have the mind of Christ. God has given me the Holy Spirit. But listen, y'all, I can't tell the mind of Christ what to do, right? You know how backwards that is, right? Jeremy Allen Metzger sitting over here saying, come on, Holy Spirit, this way. We got some things we got to come do over here. There's some poor people who need fed and some clothing that needs to be distributed. Here, boy. Messed up, right? then why do you walk that way? We may not say it out loud, but that's how half of us walk, right? We make our plans, and then we ask God to bless them, right? Why don't we let him make the plans first? And then guess what? This is the coolest part about it. Guys, you're walk, if you're walking by the Spirit, you don't have to ask God to bless your plans right? The Holy Spirit leads you in a pre-blessed package, right? It's already been blessed. It's his. So you don't got to sit there and pray for blessing and pray for success because it's his and it's going to yield the fruit that he desires. There are only two seeds that you can plant. The spirit seed, which leads to spiritual fruit, and man's seed, which leads to death. Your choice, y'all. Which would you like to plant? The only way you can plant the spirit seeds is in complete and total surrender to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. That is the only way. So you say you believe. Then set the course of your life by planting God's seed of righteousness. Sow all of your seeds, not just some. Sow all of your seeds by walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, completely dying to self and surrendering to Him. If you give 
everything to him. Jesus himself will, through faith, direct your thoughts, direct your words, and direct your deeds. We as Christians here at the Gospel House, guys, let's give God unlimited access to all of our deeds, to all of our words, to all of our thoughts. Let's run them all through faith, every part of life. Let's give it to Him and let Him direct us. That is what Christianity is. It's what God always intended it to be. Anything else, any other way of living, this, this idea that we can live half in one kingdom, half in the other, of bouncing back and forth between man's way and God's way. Well, I'm going to do, do my best, and then God's going to bless it. That's a perversion of the gospel, y'all. It is a perversion of the gospel. I tell Elam that all the time. You know, when he gets to go play basketball, just do your best. Just go out and do your best. That is not what Jesus says to you. It's not what Jesus says. And if you've been buying that, you've been buying a lie. I am sorry. I don't know any other way to put it. Jesus tells you not to do your best. He says, do my best because I have given you the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. But it means you've got to surrender. I've got to give him the keys. I've got to let go of the wheel. I've got to let him dictate every part of my life. And that's terrifying because at any given moment, God can step in and say, Jeremy, course correction, we got to go this way. And if I am surrendered, I have to say yes, right? We run around acting like having a Savior is a great thing, and it is a great thing, but it's also the most terrifying thing in the world. Because if Jesus Christ paid his blood to purchase you from your life of sin, you owe him everything. Your life is not your own. You were bought with a price. And that price comes with the right of him, for God most high, to call the shots and to tell you what your next step is. How are you going to set your course? God's way or man's way? It's your choice. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House Podcast. We pray that you are pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button, leave us a rating, and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house backslash connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you and remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.